the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Beyond that, Christ is saying there's a private place with God, and He wants you there, where a rendezvous with God the Father can occur in the secret place of your life, the most important place. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. As a reminder, you can tune in to the live worship service held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. You're most welcome to be our guest either online or in person. We will have more details on that as we continue with today's broadcast. Today on Reaching Your Heart, Pastor Michael Oxentenko brings you the first portion of the Yahweh Prayer. That's the Yahweh Prayer, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. We appreciate you listening today. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, we are grateful today that in Jesus we have a right now righteousness that's good enough for the judgment day and that will get us through to the time of the end. And so, Father, we need the Bible in our lives because when we have the Bible, we have Jesus in our lives. Help us to live and feed on the loving Christ that you have sent into the world. And, Father, in Jesus' name, help us to be better people. Amen. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus calls us all to go inside the closet and pray to our Father in the secret place. Boy, we live in a world where it's so easy to be busy, right? Where we run here and there. We have to get this job done. We have to meet that appointment, pay that bill, go to work and so on. And we can forget that God wants us in the secret place. Turn to Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is a personal kind of living faith that Jesus is calling us to. The kind of faith that takes prayer and commitment and brings it to God where no one else knows but you and God. Christ tells us to go not to a public place but to a private place here. Now in other places he says go to church. And that we should. We should be here on time. We should make a difference. We should get over the COVID fear thing in our culture because we have a work to do for God here in this place. But beyond that, Christ is saying there's a private place with God and He wants you there where a rendezvous with God the Father can occur in the secret place of your life, the most important place. Matthew 6.6 6 is the summit of the secret place for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Poetically, it is the linguistic center of the Sermon on the Mount. As you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it says Jesus went up the mountain, then it says He went down the mountain. The very center of the sermon is right here, the secret place. And so God wants us at the top of the mountain in the hideaway place where he can speak to us. In Matthew 6-7, Jesus tells us plainly to cut out all the foolishness in our prayer life and to get to the point with him. 
Prayers that sound good to sinners can be awful annoying for God. People can pray for the effect that it will have on somebody else. Oh, Lord, mighty king of the universe, we pray those august prayers. God says, cut it out. Pray to me authentically and honestly. Jesus has no long-winded discourse with God and no prayers with meaningless repetitions in them to impress others, but not God. won't work. God invented words, and he wants us to take those simple words, talk to God authentically, honestly, and to say to him what we need to say in the secret place. Verse 7 of Matthew 6 Christ says, and in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, as we have come into the secret place, we want Jesus in our lives. We want the living Christ. And so, Father, take away the babble from our talk And give us the clear speech and the clear interaction to know you as Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, God is smart. And God doesn't need for you and me to weary him with foolish talk that's meant to impress. With platitudes, with an attitude. He wants us to know him authentically. How many of you like to have a good friend in your life who understands you well? How many of you want to be a friend like that in someone else's life? Friend, God is waiting for that kind of authentic relationship in our lives with Him. The Greek translate empty phrases here means literally repetitious babblings. The Gentiles pray that way, he says. They go on and on. They say the same thing. They say it loud. They think they'll be heard because of all that. But their prayers are not the kind of prayers that God wants to hear from us. Sure, God listens to Gentile prayers. He hears all prayers. But a believer's prayer should be a kingdom prayer that pleases God and honors his name. When we pray, thinking that we'll be heard because of how many words we use, we're really saying that we believe that God has to be manipulated to hear us at all. You know, magic and false religions are tied to the hip in the pagan world. The pagan religions throughout history, like magic, have the idea that you can manipulate the gods to give you what you want. You know, you pray the right way, you offer the right sacrifice, you get rain, wealth, revenge, the list is long, maybe overcome a kingdom. But not so with our loving God. As our Father God, friend, God hears us and God is with us. Therefore, God wants plain talk from us. And so Jesus instructs us to be simple in our prayer life in the secret place. A plain prayer cut from the heart that is clear and to the point is what God is waiting for. Now at this juncture, Jesus does not command us to pray. He doesn't say, you better pray. I've done this. Well, we must pray. You better pray. You ever do that? It's kind of like telling somebody to fix your problems, pray. Jesus doesn't command us to pray here. He doesn't scold us for not praying as many do or praying as good as we should. Instead, Jesus moves into the stance of a son who knows his father very well, and with his two hands, as our elder brother, he takes hold of his father God in our hand, and in the Lord's prayer, he leads us into prayer. He leads us to the secret place with his father. That's what's happening. The Lord's prayer is an invitation. It is Christ pulling us into his prayer for us and with us to lead us to God. Look at verse 9. He says, pray then like this. Our Father, that's how it starts, our Father, read it with me, what does it say? Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. You know, that's how the Lord's Prayer starts, pure and simple. The English translation is the wrong word order. It's not how the Greek works at all. The text literally says, pater hemon, literally, father of us. Our father, it's father of ours. The very first words in Jesus' prayer is our father, but in the Greek, the very first word is father. The Lord's Prayer starts with a fact that is the basis for all acceptable prayer. And what is this fact that is the true basis of prayer? Friend, it is the kind fact that the God of heaven is here, that the God of heaven is personal, and that the God of heaven is our Father, and we are his children. Friend, Jesus doesn't reach out to God as the prime mover, the cosmic consciousness, the celestial all-knowing eye, the almighty force, or anything like that. He doesn't go into the theologian stuff as he starts his prayer, oh, omnipotent, omega, alpha force, you know, that kind of thing. He just says, Father, Father. Jesus starts with a tender recognition that God is Father. Friend, you may never have had a father in your life, but here God affirms through Jesus that God is your Father. Your human father may have left you far behind, may have disappointed you, may have abused you even, shunning the tie that binds a child to him. But nonetheless, friends, Jesus' prayer invites us to realize that God is our Father. You may have grown up with no knowledge of a human father at all, or a poor knowledge at that, and no idea of who your father is. That massive vacuum in your life, where is dad? I grew up like that. I had no idea where my father was at, who he was. I knew he was not a good man. And that vacuum was only met when God became my father. When I realized that God bridges the gap. And maybe you left your father. Maybe it's not your father's fault. It's your fault. Maybe you're the prodigal son in your family. and You don't know how to mend the fences to make your dad love you. Come home. And maybe you're on the outside of things. Friend, in that awful feeling of abandonment. God is your father on the wrong side of the fence. He's on the wrong side of the fence with you. He's on the wrong side of Eden's door with you. He has not ceased to be what he is. Father, ours, Jesus says. Friend, the God of the Bible is not the God of philosopher kings like Spinoza who only believed in the great God of geometry and beauty and mathematical symmetry. That was Einstein's God too. Who is too big to care about you but not small enough to be concerned. That is not the God we worship. In Jesus' prayer, God is smaller than He is big. He's here more than He is there. Why? Because God cares about every person, every speck in His vast universe that might think that He or she is too small for His divine presence. He is Father God, Father of ours, Jesus says. So Jesus says, Father ours. Thus his Father is our Father in the human divine relationship. Christ is our brother that leads us as the link between heaven and earth that makes Jesus our older brother who hooks us up to God our Father, a Father we would never know without Jesus. Here Jesus is quoting the Old Testament from Moses. We think, well, is this novel with Jesus? No, it isn't. Christ lays hold of the law of Moses to declare the truth we need to hear. So this truth that God is our Father... It's not a new idea, but an old one that's so easy to forget. Deuteronomy 32.6. Do you thus requite the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? A person or civilization that takes the first step toward foolishness when they come to believe that God is too big and too powerful to be a caring father or no God at all. And so we live in a secular world that has no place for God our Father. 
Isaiah 63, 16, For thou art our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. Thou, O Lord, art our father. Our Redeemer from of old is thy name. Isaiah 64, 8, Yet, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou art our potter. We are all the work of thy hand. Friend, whatever God is to you, whatever you think he is, Don't forget that He is your Father. The most important truth of life, God is Father. Michael Card has a song called God is Father or something like that. Has anyone heard that? Just hit me here. That'd be a good one to come and sing here, by the way. But it has that in it. It's a great song. It's going through my mind, but I can't pull out the lyrics right now. Friend, we're not the product of evolution or some cosmic infection of life from a comet. It splashed on earth and started the cells moving, and so we came from the muck to be what we are. That is not who we are. We were created by our Father God. Friend, God himself formed the first man, the first woman, and the human race came online as a special act of a Father's love. That is the testimony of Scripture, and let it stand beside all false science at the time of the end. It is the truth. When men and women come to believe that we are the product of natural selection, evolution, then they have come to believe that God is not a father anymore. And that's a sad road to go down. That's why the modern theory of evolution is so dangerous to your relationship with God. It sows the seeds of unbelief that masquerades as wisdom. It renders our God as nothing more than a manipulator of selfish genes, as Richard Dawkins would say. That is not who God is. The Lord's Prayer continues in verse 9. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The God that Jesus is calling on here lives in heaven. And he has a name up there. They know him by his name in heaven. How many of you want to know what God's name is in heaven? You want to know what God's name is in heaven? Jesus here will reveal it to us. He has a name up there. And his name is holy. And so Jesus moves from God our Father to his holy name. He starts his prayer by saying, holy is your name. And then many people just keep on reading without having a clue that God's name is what Jesus is talking about. He's getting to the core of something deep. It's hard to revere something if you don't know what it is. What is God's name? Moses instructs us that God's name was revealed at Mount Sinai. Moses met God at the burning bush on the holy mountain. Turn to Exodus 3 verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Here's God's response, verse 14. God said to Moses, Say it with me. I am who I am. That's the answer. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. Here's the short version. What does it say? I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, now how is it spelled in your Bible? How is it spelled? Capital L, is it a small O or a capital O? Capital O, capital R, capital D. Don't forget that. The Lord, now that's the sacred name of God, the tetragrammaton, the Yahweh name of God, the covenant name of God. It's built off of this idea of I am. The one who is, that's what his name means. I am who I am. My name is what I am, is what he's saying. 
Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God says, my name is, I am who I am. Yahweh, the Lord, I am. Or it could be translated, I am what I am. The who in the name has substance to it. It means I am my character. My name is who and what I am at the moral level. My very being is my name. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. So please stay tuned. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. The shorter version is I am, as I've said. And then in verse 15, God says, The Lord, that's Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is my name. In the English translation, the Lord represents the Hebrew name Yahweh. Sometimes it's called Jehovah if you get the Hebrew vowels wrong. So Yahweh is the better way to say it. In fact, as the Hebrews are so careful with this, they'll not even say that. They'll just say Adonai. They'll stick with the off vowels and they'll go with another word so they don't say the sacred name. There are four letters to this name, and that is why it's called the Tetragrammaton, or the sacred name. The four-letter name, the divine name Yahweh, the Lord, I am who I am, or I am what I am. The holy and sacred name, Jesus goes right to it in the Lord's Prayer. That means the Lord's Prayer is the Yahweh Prayer. It's the prayer that invokes the divine name into our lives. So if God is what he is or who he is, then what is God like? And thus we would know his name, correct? If we know the essence of what it means, I am who I am, or I am what I am, if we know what that means, if we can answer that question, then we know his name. Because if you know what God is like, then you know him by his name. And if you know him by his name and you share his name, your family... So it's very important. I am who I am, God says, is my name. Friend, God didn't reveal the meaning of his holy name to Abraham. God waited for Mount Sinai to reveal his name, Yahweh, to the world with all its moral characters. In fact, we are standing between two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Golgotha. The divine name was revealed at Mount Sinai. It was nailed at Golgotha. We learn the meaning of what God is a little bit at Sinai, a whole lot at Golgotha. At Mount Sinai, God spoke the Ten Commandments. At the cross, He is silent in the darkness of the revelation where He speaks the loudest. And thus we learn the name. So how did God reveal His name? According to God, He revealed His name by keeping His covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the exodus from Egypt. Salvation, redemption, reveals His name. Turn to Exodus 6, verse 4. God says, I established my covenant with them. That's your father's. To give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they dwelt as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold in bondage. And then God says, I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. 
And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. And notice all the repetitions of the word I. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. And I will take you for my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's how you know what my name means. God's name was revealed as Yahweh, the covenant Lord, when he redeemed and saved his people from Egypt. At Mount Sinai, God called out the meaning of his name. I am who I am, or what I am, I am Yahweh the Lord. In the book of Revelation, God's sacred name will be written on our foreheads at the end of time when God delivers his people. God's people will have the seal of God and the name of God right here on the foreheads. Turn to Revelation 14.1. Then I looked, and lo, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000. Now, how many of you want to be with the Lamb at the time of the end? Anybody here want to be with the Lamb? I'm in that group. How many of you want to be a member of the 144,000? I'll give you some plain advice here. Quit arguing about the number and just live for Christ. You know, follow the Lamb. Forget about who is and how many and all that nonsense. Focus on standing with the Lamb. That's who they are. And it says they have something here. And that's the key that defines who they are. That says they had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. God's Yahweh name will be on the forehead of God's people for all time. Because God will be with his people. And because they have his name, they have his character. What he is, is in them. And thus they are his children. You know, if you have the name of your father, that means you're a son of your father. They become family of God for all eternity by virtue of the name. Revelation 22.4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. If you are saved, friend, God's name will be written on your forehead where God's law belongs. Let's look at the evidence here. In Deuteronomy 4.13, the covenant, which is the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, is declared to be that in Deuteronomy 4.13. And he declared to you his covenant. Moses is speaking of the people years later, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. The Hebrew reads the Ten Words. And he wrote them upon the two tables of stone. In Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 21, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments that God gave on Mount Sinai. And in Deuteronomy 5, 6, he begins the Ten Commandments with God's name, his sacred name. Look at Deuteronomy 5, 6. I am, and what does it say? The Lord your God. How's it spelled? All right, it's Yahweh. I am Yahweh your God. You know, the sacred name. It's not I am the Lord. I am who I am. Remember that as his name? Here he says, I am the Lord your God who. But instead of saying I am at the end, he gives content to what it means. I am the Lord your God who did what? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's what I am means. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, the content of what it means to be I am is defined as God's redemption and the Ten Commandments that follow. The law of God is a revelation of the divine name. That's why in Psalms 119.55, the Bible says plainly that God's name is God's law. When you have God's law on your forehead, you have his name on your forehead. God is who he is. He is what is embodied in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are ten words that describe who God is to the universe in heaven and who he is to his people on earth. 
And the first word starts with deliverance from Egypt. You know, we often think, well, maybe God's a tyrant. Maybe he's just looking to keep me out of heaven. The very first principle of God's nature is mercy and love that redeems. Thus, he is defined as the redeeming God. Friends, we worship a holy God whose name means that he delivers his people from slavery. And the Ten Commandments are thus a description of who the I am, who I am God really is. If you don't want to know God's name, you have to know who he is. If you really want to know it, you have to know who he is and what he's like to understand his name. So when you read the Ten Commandments, the ten words, friends, God has spelled his name out for you in ten moral truths that are the great law of God that James tells us is one. After repeating the Ten Commandments to Israel, Moses said this in Deuteronomy 5.22, These words... The Lord spoke to all of your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire and the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. There's no more to this. This is definitive truth. It defines who God is. And he wrote them upon the two tables of stone and he gave them to me. He spoke at Mount Sinai. He added no more. The Ten Commandments defines who he is, his name. Now it's interesting, at the cross, Christ says that God would reveal his name in the glory of the cross. He doesn't speak the Ten Commandments all over again. God is silent at the cross. What is God doing at the cross? He is giving us Jesus to save us from our sins. In the darkness of Calvary, He's atoning for all our ugly stuff in the secret place with only Him and His Son. And thus the divine name is revealed with nothing to say. The loudest speech is silence at the cross. Yet we hear it in words at Mount Sinai. These ten words are actually one unified commandment according to James. Because if you break one of the ten, you've broken all of God's law. Thank you, Pastor Mike. That will conclude the first portion of the Yahweh Prayer. We'll conclude this broadcast the next time we get together. And you can listen to the entire message, if you would like, online at reachingyourheart.com. We would really love it if you would join us for our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., either online or in person. If you would like to join us in person, that address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.